0: Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. Today, I am with Treby Johnson. She is an author and frequent speaker on the relationship between people and nature. Her accolades include the John Maysfield Award and the Poetry Society of America and a Telly Award for a video made for the UN on the 20th anniversary of Earth Day. She leads workshops, retreats and rites of passage internationally since 1995, such as a retreat in an old-growth clear-cut forest, a ceremony at Ground Zero after September 11 and a walk in weapons testing grounds at Eglin Air Force Base. Johnson is a contributing editor at Parabola magazine and an active member of the Wilderness Guides Council. I am holding in my hands and in my heart, I should say, her latest book called Radical Joy for Hard Times, Finding Meaning and Making Beauty in earth's broken places. So, Trebi, you are a pilgrim of the earth, are you?
1: <laughs> I like the word. I am a um I'm a devotee of the earth, an admirer of the earth, a mourner of the earth, a citizen of the earth.
0: Beautiful. Let's uh, let's start with Mourner, because it's a big, big part of the first part of your book. You talk about places we love that have been hurt. And uh, I was remembering a place I grew up in the south of France, which now is invaded, with buildings speak about places we love
1: well it's in 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 western society we find few enough ways to speak about the grief we feel when the people we love die or or we have a sense that we should get over it and move on with life pretty quickly And there are very few ways to accept that we can feel grief for the places and the animals and plants that are dying and the oceans that are dying. And I think if we're honest with ourselves at this time in our collective history, we have to acknowledge that things are not getting better on the earth. And that every day, every minute, um, more species become endangered, more animal species, more insect species, more acres of forest get burned down, more uh, deserts and mountain areas get plowed up so that houses can be built on them. And then, of course, we have all the ramifications of climate change, which range from drought to um, flooding to terrible fires that we're seeing in the West. So um, when the places that we love are hurt, we hurt, too. And what I have discovered over the past several, many years, actually, of thinking about this issue is that feeling this grief for our lost places is universal. It transcends gender boundaries, religious boundaries, ethnic ethnic, ethnic boundaries. It is it it is a vast um, and and deeply felt concern. And so my goal has been to try to find a way to say it's it's normal and it's okay to feel that. And now what do we do? Yes, it's uh, you use the uh, you
0: say former beauty, former beauty, and I'm thinking a lot um, about how how much of that can we pass on to our children and grandchildren. How much of that can we express to them?
1: Well, I think we have to we have to show them the beauty that's now that exists now, and to enable them to uh, what one of our radical joy for hard times the organization we have radical joy for hard times the organization as well as the book, um, and as one of our members has said, who's led uh, events with her child. Uh, It's about showing people, showing children, that they can do something to take care of Mother Earth now and make her feel better. So, where is the beauty in the lake? And yet, telling the, the the children that the lake is polluted and helping them to create a ceremony or an act of beauty for that lake. So, you know, I, my family, and my grandfather in particular, used to tell me about how things used to look in Connecticut where he grew up, but I had to discover and relate to the beauty that existed for me in order to really feel it. And I think the current generations have to do that too. And they're, and they're open and upfront about how sad they feel when something is threatening that beauty of nature. How do we deal with hurricane
0: brain, which is pretty much how I'm feeling today?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, and explain what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, hurricane brain is a term that was, um, in, uh, as far as I know, it's being used by people in Florida after Hurricane Ivan last year. It was told to me by a woman who's been a member of Radical Joy for Hard Times for several years and who lost her home in that hurricane. And she said that what hurricane brain is, is um, a uh, it's 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 just a mental confusion that occurs to people when they've gone through a major upset in where they live like that. So. They can't really think straight. They get confused figuring out what they need to buy in the grocery store. They spend hours rummaging through the debris that's left of their homes, you know, hoping to find something and then not knowing what to do with it. Uh, it it's being confused. It's not knowing how to relate to people or forgetting things. And it's it's just a natural I imagine that it's it's part of the 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 body's response to having a terrible shock like that. So when you when you are
0: walking through a mountain that has been pillaged for coal, when you're walking through places that have been destroyed to make dams, how do you speak to them? What do you say?:
1: Ah uh, Well, the first thing is to just take in the feelings, whether you're alone or with another person, to just instead of hurrying past, I think often the tendency in those situations is to hurry past, to want to get past it, to want to go on to something that's prettier and, and that's not going to make you feel bad. But to just actually sit and be with your feelings, whether, again, whether you're alone or with somebody else. Um, and if you are with somebody else, to, to take time to share your feelings while you're there about this place and what you're seeing. Um, another thing to do that's that I recommend is to actually walk around this place or sit and meditate on it and get to know it as it is now, as if it were a dear friend who's ill, and you're at this friend's bedside, and you're you're, talk, you're interested in what's life like now for you. Uh, you can't do everything that you used to be able to do, but how are you now? What's life like? What are you noticing? Rather than just trying to skip past it and pretend everything's fine. And often what happens in those moments when you're looking at the place is that you find uh, examples of nature's beauty, like Uh, like little shoots of green coming up through hillsides that have been burned or birds singing on piles of debris in a clear-cut forest. It's really quite extraordinary. And then The most important thing to do, and this is what my book actually builds up to, is the most important, the most empowering and the most transformative action is to actually make a gift out of materials that you find on site and give that back to the earth. So making something beautiful, a mandala, a bird, people often do birds out of twigs, uh, stones, uh, dirt, sand, Make, make a gift for the place as a way of expressing your gratitude for all it has given to humans and all kinds of other creatures. And this is a way of giving back. And there's something really powerful and joyful. That's where that radical joy comes from. Like how can you possibly feel radical joy when you're in a place that's so hurt and yet it happens all the time. There's something very empowering about knowing that you can face something that you thought was going to be hard to face, you can stay with it, you can sit with it, and you can give back to it.
0: Would you would you be willing to tell us about a personal experience of yours with that radical joy at a certain place in a certain time so that people who haven't, people who, let's say, are in eco-paralysis or, or people who feel despair can uh, learn from your experience of radical joy?
1: Yes, sure. Um one thing that comes to mind is you mentioned when you were doing the introduction that I had gone with some friends to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, mm-hmm. and there's a great pit in the ground. of uh, it was, It's a pit of clay that is called a borrow pit because people have been borrowing clay from it for, well, since the colonists came to Florida. And now, so now it's a big hole in the ground. It's part of Eglin Air Force Base. And the Air Force used it as a, uh, a place to test out their weapons. And so we were walking around in this and just, you know, seeing all these holes in the walls. And I was feeling quite uh, sad and discouraged about it. And then I noticed that there were swallows that were flitting all around and the swallows had made their nests in these holes in the walls in the cliff that had been caused by the ordnance from the, the military weapons and the, the just the resilience of nature and the creativity and the, uh, the, uh, this, this way of finding something that was there and available and making use of it, uh, was just, was so delightful to me. Um, so that's that's one example of just discovering, discovering beauty. And then as far as making beauty goes, um, I have done that at so many different kinds of places. And one of the ones that... Well, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in the country, and I live in an area that's got a lot of gas fracking going on. It was one of the first areas to be fracked 10 years ago. And uh, my husband and I decided one year that we were going to have a picnic on one of the gas fracking sites and so we brought up a picnic basket and we had a picnic and then I just sort of climbed over the line towards where the well is and I started doing yoga postures on the gas pad mm-hmm. and I named them gasanas instead of asanas which is that <laughs> you know which is the name for yoga, yoga postures. I just created all these uh, imaginative gasanas, and I ended up feeling like it just um it was a sense of of having trespassed beyond the line of what was hateful and scary to me and found something ridiculous and fun and playful to do on a gas fracking site and it was so kind of unexpected and outrageous that it really made me happy
0: yes i i uh... <laughs> I could relate when, uh, contrary to that, when you were talking about yelling at trucks, Uh, I was thinking about being on the Dalton Highway in Alaska and watching these huge trucks go up the road and screaming at them because of the pipeline. But you say... (laughs) You say you've changed. You no longer scream at trucks, or at least
1: as often. Yeah, well, I've had to make, I've had to assert, and I'm not happy with the gas fracking by any means. As a matter of fact, I still sometimes yell at trucks. <laughs> but it's been a long journey for me to try and figure out how to live with what's going on. And I think that's an important part of our discussion, that, sometimes people think they can just move, you know, they'll find another place to go. And with, for example, with like the fires and the flooding and the the refugees fleeing from so many countries where they're being persecuted these days, they have no choice, you know, they have to move. And, um, and they have to rebuild somewhere else. And how are we going to live with how are we going to live with the changes in our own communities? We can't all move. We can't all go and say, well, I'm just going to move to somewhere where I'm not going to deal with climate change because climate change is ubiquitous. It's going to affect everybody. And, um, and, and so we have to find a way, even as we work for a better future, which is crucial, it's absolutely essential. We also have to find a way to live with where we are now with as much meaning Attention, beauty, and joy as possible
0: i I think about uh, refugees a lot in fact i 'm a refugee myself i I was um inspired to ask you actually, how does a person reland themselves i What I think about a lot is a person li- leaves a, has to leave a particular a particular configuration a, a particular botanical ground and how that's that's the question how does a person reland themselves
1: you mean as a result of uh, of replant, having something happen to their place yeah yeah like uh, replanting
0: i think about people who who come from Africa and who are maybe in Germany or in Sweden or uh, re landing as in replanting?
1: Yeah, that's an amazing question. Yeah. It's really a fantastic question. I, 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 I think I'm going to want to think about that for a long time. One thing that strikes me is uh, I was on the West Coast a couple of weeks ago doing a book tour. Mm -hmm. And I met a woman whose house had been burned down in one of the fires north of San Francisco around Santa Rosa, Santa Mm -hmm. Santa Rosa. And she talked about going on her bicycle into her old neighborhood Mm -hmm. and just bicycling around. And whenever she would find somebody else who was there, they would have a conversation and they would share their stories about what had happened to them and how they were managing and I think, I think they were doing what you're calling relearning themselves. Um, they had they went back to their own land, which of course the, a lot of these refugees that you're mentioning they can't do that. So I hope that they are able to find some way and someone to help them find um, beauty and refuge in where they are in where they are, are going. It's kind of the opposite in a way. I mean, this woman is going back to the place that she had to leave in order to to confront the sorrow and my 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 wish would be for people who are uh, who are being forced to leave their homes is that they can find beauty where they're going. Yeah, perhaps that's innate
0: to our souls as citizens of the earth that uh, that our hearts and souls are open to the beauty of uh, Of our home wherever it is
1: around yeah, and the, the earth is um, the earth is the earth the earth is our home yes, and so yes. even though we miss our original home there there is there there continues to be little glimpses of beauty everywhere and i think i think it's a i think our sanity and our survival, and I mean that really literally. Our sanity and our survival depend on us looking actively for the beauty of the earth wherever we go. I have
0: experienced uh, for instance uh, when I've uh, when I've experienced uh, grief from the death of someone very close the only thing that could console me was the beauty of place. Mm, yeah. So I know what you mean. Perhaps you would talk to us. You you speak so beautifully about grief and uh, the the banks of a river and moving like a river. Tell us about grief.
1: Well, I'll give you an example of uh, of how I feel about. The, the gas fracking up here. Um, and I wrote about that pretty early on in my book um, that I have found myself really preoccupied. I learned that when they dive down into the earth to, um, to ex- just crack open the earth and then shoot horizontally through it a mile or two down, that there are microbes who live deep in the earth. Who have been there for millions of years and never did anything to anybody never did any harm and because they get in the way of the gas fracking pipes now they're killed there's a there's a thing that's called biocides mm-hmm. and they're just killed for being there mm-hmm. and I just feel I feel immense grief about that I that, that beings who have been there undiscovered for millions of years are now being killed because the gas companies feel like they're in the way, and to me, it has it has echoes of of what colonization did to indigenous peoples all over the world. That might and and force and weapons came in and decided, "I want this, and you're in the way, and therefore you have to be either killed or enslaved." And uh, and I feel that 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 the natural world has done so much to it, it constantly gives you know it water and rain and green grass and flowering trees and acorns growing up into great trees and sunshine and moonshine and snow i mean it's it's so abundant and to to see it being diminished is is heartbreaking and that was one of the things when i first started thinking about all of this i was afraid that maybe i was the only one you know and i am a i am a white woman I've had a good education, um, I I read a lot. Am I the only one who thinks about these things? And what's been so gratifying to me is realizing that people all over the world um, share these concerns. And we have for the Radical Story for Hard Times a day in June where people all over the world go and it's called the Global Earth Exchange. And people go to places that they love that are hurt and they make beauty for them. And we've got people in from Hindus in Bali doing it and, and um Franciscan monks in New York State and Muslims in Kabul of Af- Afghanistan and people going to clear cut forests and uh historic sites in England and um all, uh, villages in Africa that are historic. I mean it's just really it's a universal thing to, to be sad and to want to change your relationship with a place through beauty. So that's kind of a long roundabout answer to your question about grief, but mm-hmm. this is, I hope I did uh, it.
0: This is fabulous. Um, so uh, this is every year in June, and how does this happen? I mean, can we can we entice people through this conversation to... Uh, have healing ceremonies with the earth, with the wounded places.
1: Absolutely. It's, next year it's June 22nd. Okay. And again, it's called the Global Earth Exchange, which is the, the word the exchange has to do with we're giving back to the earth, we're exchanging right. gifts. So the Global Earth Exchange, and where you can find out about it on our website, radicaljoyforhardtimes.org. We're in the process of getting an amazing new website. OK, so um, but you can find out about on the old one or on the new one where, where it'll be really easy to read stories. And and, um, uh, you know, and anybody who signs up on the old website, of course, will get news about the new one. Great. And it's really a very empowering event. People can do it alone. They can do it with a friend. They can do it with a group. It can be a spontaneous event that you just sort of set out and do something or it can be something that you plan in advance. It can be a ceremony. It can be song. It could be it can be making art out of found materials, like I talked about before. And it's just so wonderful to read the stories and see the photos, which you can do on our on our website. You know, there's a there, it's easy to find that stories of the 2018 Global Earth Exchange, and see the beautiful, creative, really heartfelt ways that people. Think of and enact to give back to places that they care about.
0: Well, that's a a great place to mention one of your chapters, which is called "Acceptance Does Not Mean Surrender."
1: Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I called it. I decided to call it that after a little argument with a friend who said, "Oh, you know, you're just you're 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 advocating." passivity. And what I wanted to say is that nothing can change without acceptance. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the guidelines that Elizabeth Kubler Ross set forth when she identified the stages of grief. You know, that denial was the first, was the first sort of set step of resistance to really bad news. And, uh, and until we come to accept the reality of the condition, whether it's a condition of a personal illness or the end of a relationship or the destruction of a place, uh, we can't really come together or or start thinking about creative change. And so in this chapter, um, I wrote about a Japanese fisherman who saw this immense tsunami wave coming at him in March of 2011 Mm -hmm. and just sort of said to himself, and his boat, his boat, which he called Sunflower, he said, we're either going to survive this together or we're going to die together. And so he powered this little boat of his right smack into this wave. And he was bounced around a lot, And but he survived. And I think the message there is, you know, there there are other ways he could have responded. He could have just said that this can't possibly come and get me this way, I, I must be seeing things. And just stayed where he was or he could have, um, you know, he could have tried to get back to shore. There may be many, many different ways of responding, but he accepted it first. It was like he said, yes, this wave is coming. And then he said, no, I'm not going to sit and 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 wait for it to get me. I'm going to take the only action that I know I can possibly take. And he went right into it. So in far from acceptance not meaning capitulation, it means just the opposite. It means you say yes to the reality of the situation, and then you say, no, I'm not going to just sit and let this roll over me. But that has to happen after acceptance. Okay, well, I'm going to be
0: honest with you. I'm feeling quite a bit of despair right now because of, you know the trump administration and um there's not a day that goes by where I don't feel a great deal of um of fear and sadness about all the protection that's been rolled back and so on how How do you deal with that? How do you? Speak to those of us who are feeling really, really, really sad and threatened.
1: Well, I'm one of them, to be perfectly honest. Thank you. I, mean, I, I feel, um, I feel enormous grief and outrage about what's happening in our government and in other governments across the world, but especially my own, which is the United States, mm-hmm. and. I have at the Bioneers Conference actually, um, I actually spoke to, which I was at in October, yeah. I spoke to several people who like me actually lie awake at night feeling uh stress and anxiety. So um so I think we're I think if you feel if you don't feel stress and anxiety these days, you're living in some kind of dream world um, because we have reason to feel it. And the only thing I myself do in order to combat it is that I I try to take a... a I, I'm active in an environmental group in my own community okay. and I get outside and try and find as much beauty in the world as I possibly can by going on walks and being in my own place here. Yes, yes,
0: I, I know. Your own beauty, your own beauty creates beauty. And... Uh, and that's a wonderful way to help and to have the uh, to have the great courage to talk about radical joy in 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 these times of pretty much despair is very very
1: very brave so and it helps to be it helps to be active with other people um even if you know like in, in an environmental group or a group to help refugees to give aid in some way on a voluntary basis you may feel like you are like your actions and your efforts are doing very little but just the fact that there are people together that are working to make change i find it to be empowering and 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 cheering, actually cheering. What would you say,
0: Trebi? What would you say is the most basic message you can give people so that they can find love for this place that is our home?
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I think perhaps we need to remember that we've never really lost it. And I'll tell you a story. I, for many years, I used to lead wilderness trips, and I, actually, I still do this practice with every group I lead, including the one that Polly Howells and I did at Bioneers in San Rafael a few weeks ago. Is um, is invite people at all my uh, my groups. To go out into a natural place, and it could be it doesn't have to be wilderness. It could be a city park. It could be your own backyard. It could be around the convention center in Marin, which was where we were. <laughs> yeah. um, and go and find a, a a nature being that's calling to you. You know, whether it's a, a, a single tree or a mountain or a bird singing, and just spend time with that that nature being for a while, and that. And, 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 you can, and then to pay attention to the emotional responses that you have when you're doing that and to listen for inside of yourself for your, your reaction, your response, memories, feelings, um, insights as you're paying attention to what's going on outside of you. And every single time I have ever offered this, which has been about 25 years, I've been doing this. You see people sort of getting up and trudging off and going, that's not gonna work for me. I don't have that sort of relationship with nature. Nature's not gonna talk to me. And without exception, they come back with a story. And some people might think they don't have a story, but but you can't go and pay attention and not have a story because it's you and your whole (laughs) life and your biography and your fears and the kind of day you're having and what your relationship is with your partner. It's all that and it's what the world is doing and something happens there just like something happens between two human beings that get together for a few minutes and it's powerful i think and i think i i believe that we all have an innate connection with the natural world because we are we are the descendants of it we are the direct descendants of these ancient microbes and and beings that arose out of the sea and and we all had we all had a fascination with nature when we were kids. Uh, even if it's just like a lot or a single tree in your front yard in the inner city um, or, I mean, the, on the city block. And and just to look for that, like I said before, like actively looking for beauty in the natural world. Every day, you find it. I guarantee it. If you look for it, you'll find it and it'll present itself to to you. And the more that you... Are open to seeing it and experiencing it and falling in love with it a little bit. The more it, the more it will reveal itself to you.
0: I'm looking at these uh, these words I wrote down: guerrilla beauty, and uh, I'm going to ask you. I was going to ask you, what do you mean by that? But as you were talking, I was really receiving from you that. Uh you are gorilla beauty. I mean that that <laughs> that's what it's all about. It's it's doing gorilla
1: for beauty. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was the name of a little book that I wrote a couple of years ago, 101 Ways to Make Gorilla Beauty. Mm -hmm. And I just I wrote this little book just in a few weeks in order to give people who do our Global Earth Exchange some tips and ideas of ways to respond to particular uh, hurt places, you know, like like a polluted river or historic site that's being torn down or, you know, there are a whole lot of them. And I called it Gorilla Beauty because it was a comparison with guerrilla warfare, only just the opposite. But what it has in common with guerrilla war, and it's guerrilla G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, not, you know, not gorilla like the animal. Um, oh, right. What it has in common with guerrilla warfare is that, um, that it, you're just going into a place, you're anonymous, you do what you have to do there, and then you leave. It's not about getting credit. It's not about um, it, it's not about having a big organized hierarchical force like an army. It's about quick action. It's about um, passionate action. It's about spontaneity. It's about being creative on the land. So that was why I gave it that name.
0: What about existentialism? You choose to speak about uh, to write about existentialism in your book and uh, so I would like to tie that in with uh, with meaning
1: finding meaning oh thank you you just are asking such wonderful questions oh, thank <laughs> um you. Yeah, I, I've been fascinated with the existentialist point of view since I first read them when I was in high school. Right. And, um, and what I think is, is important and timely now, the existentialists um, were concerned about taking the right action, even though as if the action itself meant everything taking the right action as if your whole life depended on it. And so the, the chapter that I write about that in is everything and nothing depends on the act you take. And I tell a story about a young woman who always would take her beer bottles home from her bar because she didn't think that they were recycling properly, uh, uh, recycling them right at the bar. And so she knew that she was going to do that right. And then, and then she would ask herself, is this even doing any good? Mm. And the point of my uh, article and my fervent belief is that we ultimately have to live up to our own standards of, of ethics and of what's right and of what's beautiful and what's good. And to take the right action, as the existentialists would say, um, even if we have absolutely no guarantee, no hope at all, that it's ever gonna change anything. The important thing is that that I, as an individual, must do. I am absolutely beholden to my own life force to do what I believe is important and right to do, do in the moment. So, um, so, and, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of the existentialist philosophy that I find really engaging. But that's the that's mm-hmm. the really the essential point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and and how how that uh, ties in with meaning speak about meaning
1: well it, it's it gives meaning to the acts that i take yeah um it gives meaning to it gives meaning to my life it means that that even if nobody is watching what i do or Wanting to write about it, or take notice about it, or praise me or criticize um, me—that what I do is in alignment with what I believe are my own principles, and that is that—that's really the that's the ultimate meaning that we can that we can uh, rely on.
0: Yeah, the words that come to me when you say that is uh, that way we create intimacy with self. In, intimacy being yeah,
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: intimacy with self uh huh yeah well, yeah absolutely. absolutely um let me ask you this uh, uh I've never said this but what would you we have uh, another say five. To eight minutes or ten minutes, what would you what would you like to talk about?
1: Oh. <laughs> You've been asking such great questions. Um, <laughs> I guess I would just say, okay, I know what I'd like to talk about. Uh, so the book is called Radical Joy for Hard Times. Yeah. And um, When somebody asked me a few weeks ago, when I was doing an interview, uh, she said, well, so tell us about how the beauty and the joy overcomes the grief. Mm. And I said, I don't think it does. I don't think it can. I think that they are both such major presences when we are paying attention to what's going on on the earth and in the world, that we have to hold them in our two hands as if they were each like little feathers. And the grief of what's happening to the world and the grief of what's happening to our society and our government and our civility, as you mentioned earlier, um, that's the grief and the joy of participating in some way or noticing in some way or or connecting in some way that can bring in joy and the joy kind of washes washes over the grief like a wave but then it it vanishes again and we're left with the joy with the grief but we're also left with the knowledge that joy is possible and joy is possible when we dive 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 deep into that grief and uh, really sit with it and allow it to flash over us. And, and in, you know, the poet Rumi, who's very, very popular these days, he had a line about when, it's only when our hearts are broken open that the light can come in. And I think that's true. I think that allowing ourselves to sit in, in grief and, um, and sorrow and it, just a sense of despair sometimes being honest about that there 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 it does open us up to a ground of being where where beauty and joy and enlightenment and humor and surprise bursts in so i feel like it's really important to hold the possibilities that i will feel deep grief and deep joy in my hands at all times and when i feel one to just be with it for a while and not try and push it away and make it turn into the other one again uh, and that's true, even for joy. Sometimes we feel joy, and and I've seen this happen at programs I've led. People will say, oh, I, "I see beauty and I feel joy, and how is that even possible or right when I'm in this decimated environment?" Well, it's absolutely possible and and right, and it's possible and right at the same time as feeling the the grief and the despair. So that balance, I think, is another really, really important aspect of how to survive in these times. Beautiful, beautiful. I I, I was
0: gazing at some words of a chapter of yours. Um, You say, joy is likely. And I thought this would make a fantastic bumper sticker. Joy.
1: <laughs>
0: that's good. Isn't that great joy is likely. I would just imagine yeah, seeing that on the back of the car in front of me, and all of a sudden being awakened in that moment. Yeah, of course, joy is likely, I love it. and that's what Trevi Johnson tells us: radical joy for hard times. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I enjoyed every moment.
1: I enjoyed it too, Joanna. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be on this amazing program, which I have admired for a long time. And I thank you so much for your really thought-provoking questions. Wonderful. Hope we meet someday.